Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. My text here in just a moment. And, um, but I'm going to talk to you today uh, from the book of Ruth and uh, looking at some passages and, and discussing um, some ways that we can do better, uh, we can ways that we can look deeper um, and go deeper rather than stay on the superficial level, the surface. And so um, there are so many people who, um, who are fooled by curb appeal um, and are maybe, should I say, satisfied with uh, the superficial that they don't go any further. And some people, you know, we've learned and we've talked about how deceitful charm is. Um, but there is a there is a depth of character, and specifically, we looked at you know a fear of God um, that's praiseworthy, as Proverbs says, praiseworthy forever. And so this morning, I want to stay in that same vein and and talk to you uh, 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 about the fact that what what is true in a in a life um, is also true in circumstances. It would be a giant mistake for any of us to deal with difficult circumstances in life and make a snap judgment about what's happening just because something is hard. How many's ever gone through something hard? Yeah, pretty pretty easy to say, right? We we've been we've been learning about how to deal with difficult people without becoming difficult ourselves. And and what I want to deal with today is how to remain right when life is wrong how to stay right when, when life isn't staying right. And, and so what do we do when, when life as we know it will continue to hand us bitter pills to swallow? And specifically, how to not become bitter just because at the moment the situation that we're dealing with is, all right? How do we guard against that? And I know you know this, but I want to say this uh, to you that God has a plan. God has a plan. And so I hope that by the end of, I hope to by the end of our time together, help you to see and understand that there is incredible life-changing power unleashed on your life when you simply hold on to the fact and never let it go that God has a plan. The storms in your life, the storms of life, they do not cease because you gave your life to Jesus. But when you look, when you can look at everything that's blowing in the wind, you know, the things that you thought were nailed down in your life that are now blowing around in the wind, when you can look at all that and say, even here, God has a plan, I'm telling you something, you, have, you will have tapped into a life-changing kind of a faith and that's where I believe God wants you to be. And nowhere, nowhere can I think of, uh, can I think of in Scripture, do we see this more vividly than in the Old Testament book of Ruth? Ruth is the name of the book, and although she didn't write it, and we don't know who wrote it, some people think that Samuel did, the prophet who anointed David to be king, but we don't really know for sure. We do know that it is written roughly 1300 to 1000 BC simultaneously uh, to the book of Judges. And so the Old Testament book of Judges plays out. And in the, in the midst of all of that, somewhere is this book of Ruth. And it's, 
it's a it's a side stream. It's a parallel story to what's happening in the book of Judges. And so it is one of two books in the Bible that is named after a woman. The other being, of course, John. Just kidding. I was just, all right, making sure you're still awake. Everybody's like, yeah, John. The other one would be Esther, right? Queen Esther. And, um, and it is also significant because it is the only book of the Bible that is named after someone that is a non-Israelite, a Gentile. So that's key, and that's, it's significant for all of those reasons and many more. Uh, but Ruth chapter 1, I, I want to read to you, and you could just turn with me if you would. You could remain seated. I'm going to read the entire first chapter. There's like, what? What is he doing? He's going to read the entire first chapter. I'm going to read the entire first chapter of the book of Ruth. And Brother Cody is going to help me out and throw that on the screen for us. Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrates of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Milan and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to the return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? There Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me, parts you and me. I, I think it's, if you take a quick second and just say, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's going on. Just reading this, there's a lot of a severe emotional tone, and, uh, there's some, the, the girls are upset, right? They, they don't, they don't want to leave. And Naomi's like, no, you, you, you need to leave. You need to go on. 
Verse 18 says, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Even just reading that, as I said just a few moments ago, we sense a severe emotional tone to all of it. Um, we are given a whole decade of pain and difficulty before there's even one line of dialogue. We, we read and we, we know to be moved uh, for them. We know to care about them, but it becomes all the more powerful and potent when you understand something of the culture, something of the history, and quite frankly, something of the identity of each of these different individuals. In the first place, the names themselves have such significant meaning. All of these names that we've read in chapter 1, they have meanings that are attached to them. We look at, uh, we look at Elimelech, all right, the, the patriarch of the family. And, and we read and we study it out. He is Naomi's husband. His name means God is my king. God is the king. Now, that's ironic and interesting because the idea of a king is at the center of the book of Judges. For it ends with the idea that there was no king in Israel. And everyone did whatever was, what was right in their own eyes. Now, it was a time when, that, when the nation had gone, by and large, turned away from God. And so, therefore, they had no king. God was meant to be their king, uh, the king of his people, and be their leader. They were supposed to follow him. It was a theocracy different from any other culture, any other, any other kingdom on the face of the earth. They were led by God. But when they turned from God, now, now there's no king, right? There's no rudder. There's no moral com compass. So everybody was just, this is north, that's south, th this is up, and, and over there is down, and this is right, and this is wrong. They all did what, it, it was this time of relativism when it came to morals, when it came to what's right, what's wrong. People were turning to different idols that were worshipped. And so it was a time when there was no king. But here's a guy whose name literally means God is my king. I'm going to follow God. And what's he doing? He's leaving Israel. He's turning away from the place where they're meant to be walking under God's blessings, developed as a people, a light to the rest of the world. But where's he going? He's going to Moab, which is the last place you would want to go if you wanted to follow God, all right, and live like he's your king. It was, Moab was a place that was known for immorality, sexual immorality to be specific. It was a corrupt place. And so here he is going there. Why is he going there? Because there is no bread. Now, the irony is that, that, that is, the text tells us that he lived in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. 
worst name ever for a place where there's no bread, right? I mean, and just side note, who doesn't love bread, right? Have you ever been in a restaurant and they're like, can I bring you some bread? I'm like, dumbest question you could ask me like in this moment. Of course you can bring bread. In fact, just keep it coming. Don't let this basket run dry. Don't let it run empty. Just keep it coming. I mean, fresh bread, there's just something about it. So Bethlehem, house of bread, there is no bread. So the guy leaves the house of bread to go find bread. He turns away from the place where God's king, even though his name is God, is my king. And he has two sons, him and his wife, Naomi. They have two boys. Malan and Killian. I, I looked at Malan. I wonder if they wanted to name him Marlon, and it just came out Malan. Like, Marlon. You know, Marlon. Just how my mind works sometimes, you know. But um, So now these boys, they do live up to their names because they, they, their names mean sickly and pining, all right? And they both, if you know your Bible, they both die pretty quickly, which is a, which is a cautionary tale, you know, parents, what we speak over our kids, their names were sickly and pining, and they ended up living up to them. Now, of course, I'm not insinuating that that's why they died, but let me just say this. Be careful what you speak over your kids. Be careful the way that you speak over other people. The Bible says that your tongue has life and death in it. So, I mean, there's some truth to the idea that, you know, Mark Twain said you could go a month on a compliment. You know, when someone says something encouraging to you and speaks it to you, it just really gets stuck in your heart, right? You could go a long time on that. Conversely, we can all remember a time in our lives when someone spoke death over us. And for years, maybe even decades or longer, you've held on to that and maybe even started to believe it. So take to heart the idea uh, uh, be careful what you're, we, we can speak over things what then becomes of, of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we can do the same to ourselves. I mean, what you see when you look in the mirror and there's a power you have in your confession, all right? And we find in these two boys, their names, they live up to it. Elimelech, a name he did not live up to. These boys lived up to their names. And then we have, we have in Naomi a name that means pleasant or beautiful. It's, 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 it's lovely. It's good. Her name, Naomi, it's a wonderful name. And after her husband dies, her two sons, they marry. They marry Moabite women, which was not good, right? Like, you hear that at the family term, like, what? Where are they from? Wasn't a good thing. These two girls, their name was Orpah and Ruth. Orpah means stubborn. And, and Ruth means friendly or friend or, or friendship is the idea. Um, and so for 10 years, they, 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 they're married to these boys and, and things seem to be kind of rebounding a little bit. And they were able to work and live in Moab for a whole decade and support Naomi. But then when both of her sons die, now you have this odd family if there ever was one, right? You have these two daughters who now technically aren't even related because there's not this relationship to Naomi. The relationship was through her boys. And that's what she sort of insinuates to them on the road when she goes, hey, look, you honored my boys all the way to their deathbed. I mean, the marriage vows, which by the way, many of the lines from our marriage vows are as standardly repeated in our culture, culture today, were actually ripped and framed from Ruth's confession that she made here 
on the road to Naomi. It's been called one of, the, one of those powerful statements of love and commitment that's ever been vocalized. What she had to say to her here on this day, and so it's actually amazing. Here on the road, Naomi says, you don't need to go with me. And she releases them from their sense of commitment to her because her life would be a lot easier and better for them just to go back to Moab. Now, it would be a lot worse and harder for Naomi to live at home alone without a husband, without her children, to live at a home alone without her family. And in that day and in that culture, very different reality than in our day. And so what she was doing, some people, you know, they read it and they kind of almost think, well, that's kind of messed up you, uh, of you just to get rid of them. No, she was actually serving them by letting them go. You see, in Naomi, it would have been a much easier life to have these two girls to lean on still, but she was realizing there was no prospects for them. There was no prospects for them of a good life in Israel. And so in sending them back to Moab, she was setting her needs and her interests behind theirs. And, and many commentators, they actually point to that being the catalyst in Ruth's conversion, for Ruth, on the spot, gave her life to following and committed her life to following the God of the Bible. When did Ruth do that? She did it in response to Naomi, preferring them above herself. It, it, it wasn't her actual words of evangelism. I mean, those are terrible when you read them in Scripture. Maybe some of the worst evangelism you could read. Naomi literally says, God's hands got, got out against me. I went away full, but God's brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi pleasant. Don't instead call me Mara, which means bitter. So her evangelistic tendencies are really bad. I mean, I wouldn't put her on a microphone ever. You know, her words are terrible. I'm like reading, I'm like, Ruth, don't listen to her. It, 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 it was her life that was beautiful. Her life was. I mean, honestly, the way she is serving Ruth and the way she's serving Orpah, it was that that caused Ruth to be committed. It wasn't what she said. It was who she was. Now, she had a, she had a decade of, of hearing what Naomi believed. But here in this moment, it shows that when Naomi was willing to love these girls selflessly, selflessly, even though they didn't believe what she believed, it was then that she said, I want what you've got. I want to follow after the God that you serve and that you follow. I want to follow after the God who can enable you to love me like you're loving me here in this moment. Even though we don't see eye to eye, even though we don't believe the same thing at the moment, I want to follow that God that allows you to do that. It's, it's challenging, right, and inspiring to want to love like Naomi and to love people no matter what they believe in, no matter where they're from, no matter what's going on in their lives, and that's what Naomi does. And it causes Ruth to just really plant her flag in faith and to throw down this gauntlet and say, I want to follow God. I want to follow him all the days of my life. That's what I'm going to do. But in contrast, Ruth, who here in this moment, is, is she's beginning her walk. 
She's beginning her faith journey, right? Naomi is having a a dark chapter in hers. She's having a dark chapter in her walk, in her journey. She's struggling to make sense of why a good God would allow her to face what she's facing. She's having a chapter of doubt. Anybody have those chapters in their walk? Chapters of doubt? It seems she's having a moment of a little bit of a lapse of of faith. It's funny, you can't help but laugh at the scene where the two girls at first go, no, 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 no. We, we, you know, we're, we're going to come with you. And she's like, no, how's it going to go for you here? Orpah's like, you're right. Peace out. Like, you got a point. I'm out of here. <laughs> it's really funny. She just bounces. See you later, Ruth. Good luck with all that stuff. You know, she's off with her clear high heels running back to Moab. Like, she's just out of there. Okay? And, and you know, downloading the apps on her phone like, um, I'm ready. Get out of here. And so Ruth, Ruth is different. Ruth, Ruth is like, actually, you know, I think I'll, I think I'll go with you. I think I'll go with you. I, I, I want to follow God. And Naomi's almost like, are you sure? Like, it's, it, it's not all that great at the moment. Like, I, I don't know why you'd want to follow him. And, and Ruth's like, no, but for real, like, now I, I know you're having a hard moment right now, Naomi. I know that it doesn't look good, but what you told me about him and how I've seen him change your life and how you really do care, I want what you've got. It's almost like there's these these gigantic waves that are overtaking Naomi's ship and Ruth can see these waves getting on her boat and getting her a little bit wet and it's ruffling her a little bit and she's like, you know, you're saying some stuff right now that you don't really mean at the moment, but I know deep down on the inside of you, you have an anchor and I don't have an anchor right now, but you've got an anchor and so I'm gonna follow after your God. Even though, yeah, there's, there's going to be lapses and moments of me spouting off and just like, you know, you're human. Naomi is human. But as she's following God, Ruth goes, I want what you've got. And so here comes in the midst of just chaos, right? Would you agree this is all chaos? I mean, we read it in the text that there's famine. There's fa- famine is how it all got started. Chapter one, famine in the land. Okay, so we'll go here. This work. Oh, oh, now there's death. Oh, but that's okay. Now, now there's a new beginning. Now there's a new hope. And and they're at the center of all this atrocity. And Ruth is rising up and shining in the face of darkness. And so, how do we model? How do we model our lives after Ruth? Because anybody with me, like. I want more of of that. I I, I want to respond to the storms like that. I want I want I want to kind of have that sort of spirit whenever adversity and uh, atrocity and things just chaotic and life happens. Here's a couple of things that I noticed from Ruth's journey. Ruth has a perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. There's a there's a great great perspective that Ruth has, and this is how she achieves it. If you're taking notes, write this down. She begins with the end in mind. She begins with the end in mind. If you've ever read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it deals with this habit, beginning with the end, beginning with the end. 
If, if you want to be a great leader, if you want to live well, do well, be better, go deeper, we don't just live in the moment. We go to the end of what we want, and we reverse engineer it back to our life. If you've ever read the book, he talks about actually going so far as to plan your own funeral service ahead of time. In your head, plan your own funeral. It may seem kind of dark and kind of like, but if we're being honest, it's barreling toward us. I mean, today, there is less life in front of you than there was yesterday. So if we're being just quite transparent, open, honest, your funeral is coming closer. So when that day comes and the text messages go out and everybody gets over the shock enough to actually ask the question, well, when's the service? What time is it? What day is it? What time can I show up to pay my respects? And somebody in your family or in your social circle uh, circle gets up to speak the eulogy, which a eulogy means to speak well of. That's what a eulogy is. And so the only material that that person has to give that eulogy was given to them by your life. So here's my question. When they stand on that platform to speak well of your life, what are you doing now to cause them to feel like they have an abundance of material to work with? Like people's like, oh, you give me 10 minutes, that's not enough time. I could go on and on and on about this person and what they did and who they were. We are right now informing our eulogies to the way that we live today. And Ruth, how did she live? Beautifully. Beautifully. How? She clearly had the end in mind. What did she say, Bryce? Where you go, I'll go. Your God, my God, where you die, that's where I'll be buried. Friend, there is a, there is a wisdom that comes from remembering your end and reverse engineering a life to get to the end that God and that you yourself want to have. And hear me, you don't have to fear it when you're prepared for it. That's, that's one of the great revelations. The Bible says, prepare to meet your maker. And only those who are ready to die are truly ready to live. It's, it's easy in life to get Naomi and turn ourselves into a bitter person. It's easy to look at situations and say, there's no way out. There's no way of making it through this. And then we make foolish decisions, and those things just compound one after another. But instead to be like Ruth and go, hold on a second. It's easy to see all that stuff, but hold on a second. Great perspective comes from remembering the end, and that end is not here yet, and Ruth recognized it, and so she's like, hey, we're still alive. We can still do something about this. We can still take action. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. You are indestructible until God is done with you. You are indestructible until God's done with you, and so if you're sitting here today breathing in oxygen, God's not done with you. It's not over. God still has a plan. God still has a purpose for your life. God still is bringing you into something and through something, and Ruth, Ruth had this power of perspective. What else did Ruth have? Ruth was loyal. What an example of loyalty. I mean, mind-blowing, actually. I mean, her name is Friendship, and she lived up to it. 
She didn't change her name from loyalty to disloyalty in difficult situations. I mean, you think we all agree this is a difficult situation? That, I mean, that's, there's nothing Naomi can do for her, no blessing Naomi has for her, but she's in it to see what she can bring to Naomi, not get from her. So she was loyal to her friend. And I'll say this, in life, the friendships that you cultivate are some of the most important things. Some of the most important things. I think some of the, and I'm no marriage expert at all, still learning. My wife would amen if she was here, but she is home with our sick children. But I think some of the best marriage advice I could ever give you is, would be to work on the friendship aspect of your marriage. Build great friendships that out of which spring everything else. The friendship aspect takes work, takes work. When you feel swept off your feet, that's amazing. I'm happy for you, that's great, but that's not powerful enough to build a life on. What makes life together great is that power of friendship, the ability to laugh together, cry together, the ability to remain loyal to one another, even the most trying circumstances the most painful situations that you can face and to stay walking through it side by side. Ruth was loyal to Naomi. Even though she's been a Christian for 15 minutes, loyal to God, she made her decision. She's like, that's it. You're not getting out of this thing. Naomi tried. Boy, did she try. And some of the worst witnessing I've ever seen I want to go with you. God's been terrible to me. God's been so bad to me. It's like, I want to follow him. You probably shouldn't. I'm, in fact, I'm changing my name to bitter because that's all God does. You follow him and you get bitter. You know, it's like, don't make Naomi a greeter. Like, we're going to put you in the back office. I think you have the gift of administration. All right? I don't know. We're, we're not putting you out on the front lines. <laughs> I mean, terrible. So she was loyal. Boy, was she loyal. And then lastly, I see in Ruth his ambition. There's, there's this ambition. There's some drive in her. I mean... There's some truth to that statement that fortune favors the bold. And there's, there's a boldness about Ruth. Um, there, was this, there was a gutsy faith to Ruth that she was willing to take difficult steps to do things to, to just keep showing up. For example, they get back home. Naomi is like, now I'm bitter and everything's horrible. Let's go cry somewhere. And, and, and what does Ruth say? And then this is chapter two. We didn't read this morning. But Ruth's like, hey. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain left behind. And anyone, anyone whose eyes I find, what did she find? Favor. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to look for something. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try. Ruth wasn't willing to just sit back at home and hope someone brings blessing to her. That someone hopefully shows up and rescues. 
like I'm praying for this, but you know what I'm going to do? If my prayer is answered, it's going to find me out there trying. It's going to find me out there taking some initiative. So many people have prayer requests, but that's all it ever really is, is just a request. Get in the altar, friend. Search for God with all your heart. Diligently seek him. And he's a rewarder. I'm praying for this, but you know what? You're going to find me out in the field. And then it says, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who is basically the perfect person in every way to own the field she would end up in. So how did it turn out? Turns out she was in the perfect field. The perfect field. She woke up and she said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try. Our music would come this morning. Everything else that she's tried has died. Everything she's tried has failed. Famine's probably going to come. You know what? I'm going to get up and I'm going to try. And maybe, just maybe, I'll find favor. Oftentimes, hear me right now, we find favor when we go out looking for it. And I think that's all right for the church. Let's look and believe God for favor. Maybe it didn't work out the first time, but have some ambition to try again. Understand that God has a plan. So keep going to the altar. Keep believing God for provision and for your miracle. Don't give up and don't quit. Don't get bitter. Try again. Get out there in the field and believe that you'll find favor. I mean, that was Ruth's spirit. I'm going out to the field. And as a result, Ruth's story becomes one of nobility. What do you, what do you mean, Bryce? I mean, when Boaz and Ruth get married, they have a baby. They get to become man and wife. Chapter 4 says she gives birth to a son. In verse 17, it says they named him Obed, whose side note had a son named Jesse, whose side note had a son named David. And so now here's King David who anytime he would talk about his great-great-grandma, we're talking about Naomi and Ruth. But that's not all because David has sons. And David's sons have sons and on and on. And in Matthew chapter 1, we get to this beautiful little list in the New Testament. It's a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and the son of Abraham. <laughs> but notice when it's telling all the records, verse 5. It says that Solomon had the, fa the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. For all of history and in all eternity, Ruth will be revered as a part of the royal dynasty that God used in his rescue mission. 
From famine to funerals, funerals to looking for, hoping for, dreaming for, clenching at anything. But in the midst of all of it, God was building a family. And guess what? In that family, there's room for every single one of us. In that family, you and I can have a confidence to look at the hardest things that we face in this world and believe that God's going somewhere. God's taking us somewhere. God has us in the palm of his hands. He's up to something. So can we just have this perspective? Can we we stay committed? Can we stay loyal? And then just be ambitious. Never get up. Don't be discouraged. And know that we too are part of the story. And we'll understand it better by and by that God has a plan. He's always had a plan. He's always working. We just got to give him a little space. You know, sometimes we want to hurry up, God, hurry up, get this job done. Like, can move me, move me in the next season. Don't, don't hurry, God. Don't, don't rush God. He, he's really good at setting things up in such a way that we feel like there's no way you can do this. And he does it. And he does it. One of the most striking things to me, though, as you stand with me this morning, is when Naomi gets back home and the girls are like, hey, hey, Naomi. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm bitter. I, nope. <laughs> Life's bitter. That's because I've, I, I've come back empty-handed. Remember we read that together? I've come back. I went there having this in my hands. I came back. I'm now empty-handed. She said, I left full, but I've come home empty. I left full, but I came home with nothing because I left Elimelech and my boys, but I've come home with nothing. And I love, I love that Ruth really doesn't get offended. You know, if I'm Ruth, I'm like standing off in the background. I'm like, hello, like, I'm, yes, I'm Ruth. Yes, nice to meet you. Like, you came home with me. By the end of Naomi's story, she's holding a baby. She's holding a baby she never thought she would have. Look what her friends say to her. They say to her, Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who has not left you. Your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. Her friends are like, man, this is amazing. God has brought you back here, not empty-handed. He didn't forget about you. He gave you a daughter who's better than seven sons. I mean, this girl... Ruth was special. And I love that because the Bible says anytime the thief takes something, he has to restore it sevenfold. And I dare you this morning. 
I dare you to believe with me that anything that has left our hands and left our lives has not been unseen by God. And he has a plan to restore it all back and bring it all back sevenfold. She left empty, but she came back with Ruth, a woman worth more than seven sons. God used Ruth to bring a baby that she didn't know it at the time would be a part of bringing the Savior to this world so we can be a people today that trust in God no matter what. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. No matter what you face, you can be confident that we serve a God who sees you, who is faithful. You don't need to be bitter just because life is. Know that God is good. God has a plan, and God is up to something. I want us to read one last verse of scripture and I want to I want us to read it together. I want to put it up on the screen and I want us to say it out loud because I believe it will give us freedom. I believe it will give us permission, it will give us power no matter what we're facing. I want us to read this verse together. Would you help me? For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what it is, if you're full or if you're hungry, if you're abased or, or, or abound, it doesn't matter, full or empty, you can do all things. You can do all things. It doesn't matter on the mountain or in the valley. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. And to that I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord together. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.